American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, help others find it by sharing this episode and giving us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Huster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about Father Emil Capon, a priest of Wichita, Kansas, and an army chaplain who died in a prisoner of war camp in Korea. Man, it just feels like here we go again. Another story of a man who went where he was needed and ministered in impossible circumstances with absolutely no regard for the likelihood that he would die. Yes, he's not the first priest we've talked about who fits that bill. No, among priests whom we've talked about, he joins Father Stanley Rother, the Oklahoma priest who was murdered in Guatemala, Father Vince Capadano, the Marino priest and Navy chaplain who was gunned down in Vietnam, Father Benjamin Petit, who joined the Potawatomi on their trail of death, St. Isaac Yogues, who couldn't stay away from the Huron missions, and Father Damien de Wooster, who gave himself to the leper colony of Hawaii, eventually dying of that horrid disease. Each of these is an arresting story of a priest following his master's lead and descending into hell to bring souls to heaven. Priests who really live the call of Christ can have a tremendous impact, that's for sure. Yes. And as the testimonies of those who knew him in his last trial confirm, Father Capon lived the call of Christ extraordinarily well. So let's talk about Father Emil Capon, and let's start with a note about the pronunciation of his last name. It's spelled K-A-P-A-U-N, and there are many who pronounce it Capon, and that seems to be a perfectly acceptable pronunciation. But it seems that the people from closer to his hometown, Pilsen, Kansas, pronounce it Capon. So that's the pronunciation that we've opted to go with. Yes, and that stipulated, we commence with his story. Emil Capon was born on April 20th, 1916, and grew up on his parents' farm just outside Pilsen, Kansas. The farm country around Pilsen was populated by a lot of immigrants from Bohemia, which is more or less modern-day Czech Republic. It was a very Catholic enclave, and the local parish was named in honor of the great Bohemian saint, John Nepomucene. Emil's father had come over from Bohemia as a child in 1887, and his mother was the daughter of Bohemian immigrants. Emil grew up Catholic and showed a predilection for a priestly vocation from early on. Yes, his mother reported that as early as four years old, he would stack crates and put a cloth over them to be an altar and pretend he was offering mass. So it was only a matter of time before this hardworking farm boy would head to the seminary and be ordained. He went to the local Catholic school and was a very good student. In 1930, at 14 years old, his schooling transferred to a seminary boarding school in Missouri. Eventually, he was ordained in 1940 and was assigned to his home parish of St. John Nepomucene in Pilsen. In 1943, he was given the additional responsibility of auxiliary chaplain at the Army Air Base, 16 miles north of Pilsen. In that capacity, he came to see the great need that there was for chaplains. In 1944, he asked his bishop to release him to serve full-time as an army chaplain. His reason was twofold. One, a desire to help fill that need for chaplains that we just mentioned, and two, he felt that he was not able to serve the people of Pilsen as well as they needed to be served because of their familiarity with him. He was only 28 at this point, so to many of his parishioners, including his own family, he was still young Emil Capon, not Father Emil. 
The bishop assented to this transfer on July 12, 1944, and Father Capon reported to chaplain training at Fort Devens, Massachusetts that fall. Fort Devens is near my hometown in Massachusetts and has played a part in my own family history. Absolutely, and we'll hear more about that next week. <laughs> so Father Capon completed his training and was assigned to Camp Wheeler in Georgia, but he was only there for a short time before he was shipped overseas to Burma and India, where he served the U.S. forces at the tail end of the Second World War. Between March of 1945 and January of 1946, he traveled thousands of miles by jeep, going wherever the troops were to offer mass and hear confessions. He was noted for his devotion to duty, and before he left India in 1946, he was promoted to the rank of captain. His time on active duty came to an end in January of 1946, and he returned to the United States. Back in Kansas, he helped out a number of parishes before the bishop asked him to go back to school to get a master's degree in education. He wasn't keen on going back to school, but he obeyed and went to Washington, D.C. to begin his studies at the Catholic University of America. He completed this course and earned his master's in 1948, at which point he requested permission from his bishop to return to the military chaplaincy. Bishop Carroll denied the request and assigned Father Capon to another largely bohemian parish in the diocese. He reported to his new assignment dutifully, but he longed to return to military duty. After just six months at this parish, he once again wrote to his bishop to request permission to return to the chaplaincy. This time, the bishop consented. Father Capon reported to Fort Bliss, Texas in late 1948. In December of 1949, he returned to Pilsen while on leave to make what would prove to be his final visit home. That was because, in January of 1950, he was shipped to Japan where U.S. forces were maintaining the post-World War II occupation. They were also there to prepare to support South Korea because the situation on the Korean Peninsula following World War II was precarious. The Allies had divided it at the 38th parallel, with the Soviet Union dominating the northern part and the United Nations, but mostly the United States dominating the South. The two Korean nations that were arising as the client states of their respective protectors each saw themselves as the only legitimate government for the entire peninsula, and naturally, the major powers wanted their half to be the ultimate victor in that struggle. The Soviet Union made sure that their half was a communist country, while the U.S.-led United Nations assured that the government they were supporting would support capitalism and eventually some level of democracy. This uneasy peace ended in June 1950 when the forces of North Korea suddenly invaded the South. Just two weeks later, Father Capon's unit was sent over to help stop the invasion. Once in Korea, Father Capon gave himself to his duties amidst heavy fighting. He helped to tend to the wounded, he buried the dead of both sides, he went wherever he was needed to administer the sacraments. He prayed with soldiers in foxholes, and he offered mass in the field on the hood of his jeep. Twice his assistant was killed and his jeep lost. One of those times he lost everything he had with him, including his mass kit, oils, and missile. After that experience, he, he carried these essentials, including a purple stole for confessions, on his person. One time, a sniper's bullet actually shot the pipe right out of his mouth. He went into harm's way many times to administer the last rites, and he braved enemy fire to remove the wounded from the field of battle. For this conspicuous action, he was awarded the Bronze Star with a V for Valor. 
for four months, he worked nonstop in the heat and humidity of the summer and into the coming bitterly cold winter. He wrote many personal letters to the families of fallen soldiers, offering words of comfort and assuring them that their son had died in the presence of a priest and with the benefit of last rites. His calm, strong, and tireless service was an inspiration and a calming influence on the men in that hell of a war. The South Koreans and their UN allies were getting the upper hand of the war as the winter approached, and many thought it would all be over by Christmas. But then the Chinese army inserted itself, not wanting the war to end with the American and UN forces right on their own doorstep. On November 1st, the Chinese army joined the North Korean force in a surprise attack on Father Capon's unit near the town of Unsan. The battle became a rout, and the following day, Father Capon was among the thousands of Americans taken prisoner of war. Father Capon actually had more than one opportunity to evacuate and avoid being captured, but he refused to leave the wounded and the dying without the benefit of sacraments. As the battle was ending and those taken prisoner were being rounded up to be taken north, the North Koreans came upon an American who had been playing dead very near where Father Capon was standing under guard. They discovered that he was still alive, but was very badly wounded in the leg. Well, the policy really was that any who were too wounded to make the walk would either be executed on the spot or be left behind to die. So a North Korean soldier leveled his rifle to shoot the soldier, Sergeant Herbert Miller, in the head. Father Capon, heedless of the peril to his own life, left the guards, ran over, and swatted the rifle out of the way before the soldier fired. He picked up Miller and helped him to hobble into line. The North Koreans, apparently so surprised by the chaplain's action, let them both live. What followed was a forced march of about 80 miles to a prison camp. Many soldiers struggled to make the journey as battle wounds got worse and the bitter Korean winter yielded frostbitten feet. Father Capon, aware that the North Koreans would either execute stragglers or just leave them to die, went along the line encouraging those who were able to, to help carry those who couldn't make it on their own. Many soldiers, including Herbert Miller, survived only because of his encouragement and interventions. And once in the camp, the men were in horrible conditions. They lived in unheated huts with nighttime temperatures that reached 30 degrees below. They were not given blankets. They were fed little to no food, and the water supply was unreliable at best. Dysentery spread through the camp, as did lice. The guards were harsh and were extra harsh to Father Capon because he never let them break him. In addition to all sacramental considerations he could make happen, he would scrounge wood and use whatever he could find to light fires to melt snow to have good drinking water. He would tend to the wounds and wash the clothes of the sick. He picked lice off the men. He would risk his life to slip out of the camp whenever he could to scrounge the countryside for corn, millet, and whatever other food he could find the men said he would ask them to join him in praying to St. Dismas for the success of his late-night scrounging and thieving of food. Dismas, of course, is the traditional name given to the good thief whom Christ assured on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. The men knew that their situation was desperate, and they knew that all they had to do to die was to stop willing themselves to live. Whether from the effects of lice, dysentery, the cold, or malnutrition, Anyone who lost the will to live would be beyond help in just a few days. In fact, during that first winter, nearly half the men died. And this was where Father Capon's ministry was so powerful. He was Christ to those men and to their captors, frankly. Prayer was forbidden, 
So Father would go from hut to hut after dark to pray with the men for their spiritual and temporal needs, for their loved ones back home, that they would live to see their liberation, and they even included prayers for the North Koreans. During the anti-capitalism and anti-religion indoctrination sessions that the North Koreans subjected the Americans to, Father Capon would stand resolutely and argue with them, refuting their claims. When the guards taunted that God must not be real since he wasn't saving the Americans, Father Capon responded calmly, God is as real as the air you breathe but cannot see, as the sounds you hear but cannot see, as the thoughts and ideas you have but cannot see or feel. The captors hated the chaplain, seeing him as an instigator and propagandist, which is ironic considering the situation, but they could not scare him into silence and they feared that if they tried to stop him, they would have a revolt on their hands. In March of 1951, Father Capon defied the captors by holding an Easter service. They had explicitly forbidden a service that morning, but Father Capon led the men in pushing past the guards into the hut they used as a chapel. He could not have mass since he did not have the proper materials, but... Through recitation of memorized scripture, prayer songs, and a sermon, Father Capon reminded those men of the death Christ had endured for all and the life-giving power of the resurrection. It almost seems like this was the final task that God had for Father Capon in that prison camp, because not long after, Father was stricken with a blood clot in his leg, dysentery, and pneumonia. He was confined to his hut and the POWs had to go to him for counsel, confession, and encouragement. He was in this condition for a number of weeks before the North Korean captors caught on that he was ill, and they seized their opportunity. One day in May, they burst into his hut and ordered that he would have to be moved to the camp hospital. That title was a cruel joke. No one who went there ever came back. It was a place where the communists took people to die. The POWs began to get restive and were about to fight to keep their chaplain with them when Father Capon stopped them. He said, Don't worry about me. I'm going where I always wanted to go, and when I get there, I'll say a prayer for all of you. With tears in their eyes, the soldiers allowed the inevitable to happen. But rather than let the communists take him there, a group of POWs picked him up and carried him to the death house themselves. But before leaving the main part of the camp, he had the men pause so he could ask forgiveness of the guards if he had done anything to harm them, and then he blessed them. A few days later, Father Capon died alone in the death house. Their chaplain was gone, but the men of his camp were different for his example and service. When a POW from another camp, Marine Major Jerry Fink, was transferred there because he'd been causing trouble in his own camp, he noticed how different the men were in this new camp. In his previous camp, the men were all fighting for their own survival, and that often meant fighting against one another. He remarked that in this camp, the men looked out for one another. In conversation, he found that it was all because of Father Capon. Fink was so taken by the reports of the deeds and devotion of Father Capon that he also changed. Fink, who was Jewish, was a gifted woodcarver, and as a tribute to Father Capon, he carved a four-foot-tall crucifix out of wood that he had scrounged. That crucifix was a constant reminder and encouragement to the men during their remaining two and a half years of imprisonment, starvation, and torture. In 1953, when the armistice was signed to end the war, the POWs were released. The men of Father Capon's camp carried that cross with them. 
It hangs today in Capon Mount Carmel High School in Wichita, Kansas. When the men came home, they all told tales of Father Capon and his selfless actions. He was posthumously awarded the Distinguished Service Cross for his actions during the Battle of Unsan. And in 2013, that medal was upgraded to the highest honor, the Congressional Medal of Honor. There to receive it was his nephew, Ray Capon. Also present was 87-year-old Herbert Miller and his wife, Joyce. Herbert Miller, remember, was the sergeant whom Capon had saved from being shot in the head. It was this action, one that could well have gotten him shot on the spot, that merited Father Capon the Blue Max. The citation for the award reads, in part, Shortly after his capture, Chaplain Capon, with complete disregard for his personal safety and unwavering resolve, bravely pushed aside an enemy soldier preparing to execute Sergeant First Class Herbert A. Miller. Not only did Chaplain Capon's gallantry save the life of Sergeant Miller, but also his unparalleled courage and leadership inspired all those present, including those who might have otherwise fled in panic, to remain and fight the enemy until captured. A statue of Father Capon unveiled at St. John Nepomucene Church in Pilsen, Kansas in 2001, also focuses on this moment. It depicts Father Capon helping a wounded soldier to walk. Miller wasn't the only one he helped in this way, but he was the most well-known. Herbert and Joyce Miller were married in 1954. From what we can tell, they both are still alive and going strong these 67 years later, and Herbert still gets misty when recalling the great deeds of Father Capon. And the more important honor is still in progress. In 1993, the Archdiocese for Military Services formally opened his cause for canonization, earning him the title of Servant of God. After the cause was opened, the task moved to the Diocese of Wichita to compile the facts and stories about his life, to bundle it all up, and to send it to the Vatican for their review. A favorable review would result in Father Capon being declared venerable, which is a formal recognition that the person lived a life of heroic virtue. But to get to the next step, beatification is a more difficult thing. For one, there has to be a miracle attributed to the person that's possibly already in hand. Two cases have already been submitted to the Vatican as potential miracles to his credit. And two, typically it requires possession of the mortal remains of the person. This was a difficulty, because it was believed for many decades that Father Capon had been buried in a mass grave. Now, it is true that in 1954, as part of the peace negotiation, the remains of many POWs who had died were exhumed and returned to their home countries. It was thought Father Capon's remains might have been included in the 848 sets of remains reinterred in the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific in Honolulu, Hawaii. But if that was so, identifying his particular remains would likely have been a prohibitive difficulty. However, a major breakthrough happened just earlier this year. A man who remembered helping to bury Father Capon came forward to say that Father hadn't been buried in the mass grave, but rather had been buried in his own grave near the hospital. This changed the search for his particular remains. Through dental records and DNA testing, the military was able to confirm with certainty that they had, in fact, found the skeletal remains of Father Emil Capon, and his skeleton was 95% intact. This discovery sent ripples of joy through the Diocese of Wichita, through his extended family, and especially through the hearts of the soldiers whose lives he touched and who are still alive. As far as they are concerned, Father Capon is the greatest man they ever knew and is definitely in heaven. Hopefully the church will agree 
and in the not-so-distant future, we will all be able to call him St. Emil Capon. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help others find it by sharing this episode and by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. We also ask you to support the many productions of SQPN at sqpn.com slash give. To learn more about Father Emil Capon, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimages to important and unforgettable Catholic holy sites, please visit AmericanCatholicHistory.org. We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest.